Hi, I'm Glenn Harper, CPA and owner of Harper & Company, CPAs Plus, and partner in Sula Consulting. In each episode, my co-host, Julie Smith, Harper & Company's practice manager and partner in Sula Consulting, and I will interview a different guest about their entrepreneurial journey. The podcast features interviews with business owners, aka entrepreneurs, who bring intriguing and entertaining clarity to the entire entrepreneurial journey, giving others confidence to build their business. Our goal is to provide actionable value to you, the entrepreneur, to help you do business or build a business. Every entrepreneur deserves to enjoy the journey. Learning from others offers valuable insight and inspiration. We want to provide insight on the why, the how, the shortcuts, and the value add that many entrepreneurs wish they would have had identified at the onset of their journey. Sit back and enjoy the journey. Hello, everybody. Glenn Harper here. And Julie Smith. For another edition of the Harper CPA Plus Empowering Entrepreneurs podcast. Today, we've got a great guest. His name's Glenn Dunlap. Totally cool name, by the way. A fellow entrepreneur who, of course, has multiple companies. One is Peerview Data, an analytics and advisory platform for accounting firms, headquarters in Indianapolis, Indiana. And in his spare time, he runs big league tours for, for the ML Major League Baseball that provides an opportunity to tour the great ballparks and catch a great baseball game at the same time. Thanks, Glenn, for being part of the show today. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Julie. I look forward to being with you. Well, that's exciting. Uh, you got two very different businesses, but they have this one thing in common, and that would be data. They do have data involved. Yes, that's right. I suspect when uh, the movie Moneyball came out, you were jonesing for that, huh? Are you one of those guys? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it is fun. Uh, I mean, probably more so from a fan perspective, it was just kind of fun to see some of the things and sort of see inside baseball even more, um, you know, which was, uh, which was definitely a fun thing. Uh, but it's, uh, it, it is fun when you can combine your loves in, in different ways, right? Again, people just don't find joy in numbers, but there's some of us out there that just do. And you're one of those guys, apparently. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. So I've got to, I got to, uh, all the fans have asked me to ask this question today, and, and this is a serious question, but what tastes better, a hot dog in a ballpark or a steak in a classy steakhouse? Um, I would say that it depends on who you're with. Gotcha. I, I think, uh, you know, a hot dog in a ballpark is, can be one of the best meals ever. You know, it's, Agreed. Uh, yeah. But, but if you're with lousy company, a steak restaurant could be the worst meal ever. Agreed. So. <laughs> Are you a are you a major league baseball fan, a football fan, or you like chess? <laughs> that's, that's, it's like uh, uh, you know I don't know the, the uh, you know do you like bicycles or elephants? Or that's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, the um, uh, baseball fan uh, through and through. I mean, that's been my favorite sport. I, I do love basketball. Probably is my is my second favorite sport, but. Um, <laughs> it may be the only sport to watch if uh, I'm serious if, uh, you know, uh, here, which is uh, which is another you know tough season for baseball fans. Can't but, they yeah. figure it out that people just want to have a get away from it all and just watch a game and not deal with the controversy? How hard is that for these guys to understand? Um, um, well, evidently very difficult. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's, it seems that way. <laughs> so in, in your spare time, are you, do you like uh, do all that Amazon stat that uh, data? Is that what you study too for fun? Or is it mostly just the analytical stuff that you do in both your companies? Yeah, it's, we, I don't really do too much. I, well, first of all, I'm, I'm kind of uh, obsessive compulsive. So I don't I really, I've never allowed myself to do a fantasy team or to do anything like that because I, I just, I know what would happen. It would just be this endless spiral. So I just, I don't even start. So 
Um, so I've never done that for any sport and, and won't. <laughs> and uh, so I don't, but I do enjoy taking a look at the look at stats and, and having some fun with that. Yeah, man's got to know his limitations, that's for sure. Um, well, do you want to share a little bit about what your business is doing, how they do it? Yeah, yeah. With any any preference in order? Or no, what, pick whichever one you like. Well, we're talking. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk baseball because I think the rest of the time we'll we'll talk sure. about peer view. So, um, you know, several years ago, um, I went through a program at our at our church, which was before I die, I want to, and it wasn't all about bucket list stuff. It was also about leaving a legacy and mentoring and pouring into. Uh, so, it was it was. Uh, you know, more meaningful stuff than bucket list, but there was a bucket list column of things. And one of those things was, I, I said, I wanted to go visit all 30 stadiums with my dad and my son. Cause when you, when you phrase something like before I die, that really puts uh, a different spin on it. Right. So um, when I did that, I thought, you know, I'm not going to have my dad forever and my son's not going to think I'm cool for much longer. So I better get this done. So I started to look at how I could do it. And, uh, you know, this is a common theme for me that I didn't like how other people were doing it. So I felt like I could build a better mousetrap and that's kind of what I did. Nice. Um, so 2006 launched big league tours and, uh, we started providing baseball tours to fans and re really the premise was, uh, uh, you know, I'd gone on, uh, you know, group tours before and didn't really like it, uh, you know, even I was in, in France with a group tour and it was my French club in high school. And at 15, they dropped us off at the Louvre and said, you've got two hours. We'll pick you up right back here. You know, I'm thinking that even at 15, I'm kind of like two hours, you know, we could spend, you know, days in here. Um, so, you know, I kept thinking, uh, I'll never do another group tour. <laughs> here I, now I own a group tour company, right? Um, so, you know, the thing is, is that we build in, you know, things that, that provide, you know, the benefits of being with a group when you can. So we get you know, behind the scenes tours at stadiums. We sit in great seats. Um, we know where to stay in the cities, that kind of thing. Um, but we also give you a lot of flexibility to go out and do other things. So, you know, if you've been to New York a bunch of times, you don't want to be on a, you know, the same double decker bus tour that you've been on before. So you get a lot of flexibility, but if you've not been to the 9-11 museum or whatever, you can go do those things on your own. Um, and we help people out with that, but we just try to build in where it's the best, you know, take take advantage of the, the you know, tickets, the relationships, the, you know, the knowing, knowing where to stay and helping people kind of make those, those choices. So is um, it a, is so, it a standard like tour each one or do you mix it up every year? We have some pretty common ones. You know, our most popular tour is, uh, Fenway park, the hall of fame in Cooperstown, Yankee stadium and, and, uh, city field. So that's uh, the whole, what we call a Hall of Fame tour, and we kind of do that package multiple times each year. So it's uh, it just depends on the on the schedule, you know, when the teams are in town and how we can set those things up as to kind of what our options are. Uh, but we work through those packages, and we kind of do you know East Coast, Mid East, Midwest, West Coast, South Southeast, Southwest. So those are pretty common packages. Isn't it funny? You know, you went on a tour. Like we all have been on tours and they really just kind of suck. Uh, you're just a herd of cattle running through places and you, you don't even get a chance to pause and reflect and look at anything. And, and there's that entrepreneurial spirit that just hits you said, you know what, I can do this better. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the, you know, you see, um, you know, like we go through stadium tours at all the different parks uh, where we can, sometimes the schedules don't allow and COVID certainly has changed that. But uh, as you're going through the tour, you know, you get, you get the, security guards that are just pushing people through, pushing people through a tour. And I, I, you know, like 
at first I used to get upset about that. And then I, I now ask the security guards, how long have you worked here? And, you know, I'll, you know, they'll tell me anywhere from six months to 36 years or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, so you've seen this a time or two. Oh, God, yeah, I've seen this a time or two. But you know what? This is their first time. You know, let's, let's, uh, let's chill out a little bit. Let's calm down. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. They kind of forget, you know, that right. I live here every day. You know, so it's kind of one of those where you can kind of go, you know, let's, let's just let's just let them enjoy this for a second. You know, you know, there's the next tour will happen when it happens. You know? Like lighten up, Francis. We got this. It'll be all right. <laughs> exactly. Sweet. Want to talk about your other company? Yeah. So you know, Pure Data we started um, seven years ago uh, was was actually just sort of born out of my, you know, experience in in working with a. Uh, you know, entrepreneurial companies. I, most of my career, I've done uh, part-time CFO, uh, corporate finance kinds of things, forecasting, modeling, doing financial projections, and doing business plans, strategic plans. Also helping uh, companies with debt and equity placements. And you know, when you're doing that work, you get asked the question a lot of times, like, "What do you see other companies like me? How fast are they growing? And how much are they spending on health insurance? And how bad's their turnover?" And you know, just think questions that you would you would get and besides sort of anecdotal information like okay you know we've got um you know however many other clients that maybe are in this space so i can i can kind of answer that and kind of come up with some some things around those that things but um you know it, it's always one of those things that just kept in the back of my mind somebody needs to do a better job at this i mean and i was a user of some of the other apps but i just i didn't like how they were doing it uh, you know as a for instance uh the, the banks use the RMA, the Risk Management Association stuff, and it's and it's great f- for their purposes. But if you're trying to make a you know different business decision off of it, you don't have you know four line items for the PL, revenue, COGS, OPEX, mm-hmm. net income. Well, you're not going to change anything based on those four line items. You know, so uh, it, it doesn't really give you the the details to dig into uh, you know their their data and to understand it. So. That, that's why it was just kind of one of those things where I kept saying somebody needs to do a better job of this and better job of this. And that's how we, that's how we get started. Um, and, and there's a phrase that I, I did, I'm not the person who originated this. Somebody else said it, but it was a phrase that I've just adopted. And that is um, you have to be willing to say the phrase. Um, this may not work, but. Right. <laughs> and so I went back, went to some of my former clients and said, you know, hey, this may not work, but. And they went, yeah, well, let's do it. Give so it. I had. 15, uh, we started with professional services companies and asked them, they said, what do you need? I said, let me have three or four years of financial data. So they gave me P&L and balance sheet. Um, and, and so we compiled that data and went back to them. And they all kind of went, you know, if you don't really have 15 or 20 law firms or ad agencies or uh, software development companies, uh, you know, engineering firms, then we don't know how comparable this is if you've got three of each of us. I said, well, we don't know. We may, it may not work, but let's try it. So we did, and we went back to them, and, and all of them said, oh, well, this is great. We would pay you for this. Hallelujah. <laughs> and, kind of, and you kind of go, hmm, okay, well, maybe we're on to something. So, um, you know, so we started at, at kind of a high level like that and knew that we would have to start there and then kind of drill into it. But we, um, we started with, uh, with that in mind, and then we kind of grew from there. How big, uh, you know, different entrepreneurs, different sizes, you know, they just need different – services and, and data and advice and whatnot. What size company that Azure's services kind of tailored to? Is this like a 20 and under employee? This is a hundred and under employee. This is a $10 million company and above. Wh- where do you think that sweet spot is? Um, 
you know, I think really the sweet spot for most business owners using this kind of data would be, I would say, you know, firms that are probably not quite as um, internally sophisticated, you know, that they don't have a ton of stuff. So I would say some of this, you know, the lower end of that spectrum, with the exception that, um, you know, we see, so our, our clients are CPA firms. And so we're working with firms across the country. And we kind of went in through different doors. Initially, it was kind of the everybody would push us to the audit team that, you know, hey, they need analytics for the audit. So, you know, this could be helpful on the front end. So um, so we started working with audit teams there. And most audits are going to be larger firms, mm -hmm. right? So it's not going to be a, a small firm. So are the users inside the firm at that point? Not typically. I would say it's more for the CPA firm using it. So we have a lot of data for firms that are 10 million you know, 50 million, 100 million and up because of that, that pathway. Um, what's transitioned is, is that as we've gotten more granular in our data, then it started to come where, um, you know, firms that are, are doing client accounting advisory services practices, they've connected their, their clients, QuickBooks online files, as a, for instance. And so now that data is coming in monthly. And so you see, you know, a million dollar dental practices that are getting data every month from their CPA firm that shows them not only how they're doing and how they did last month, but how did the rest of the profession do and how did I compare to that? And, you know, they can sort that by size or geography, uh, by specialty and start to look at, um, you know, some comparisons from that standpoint. So it, it changes that conversation and I'd say there are different uses for it. And we've got, you know, people across the spectrum using the database. Sounds weird that you're suggesting that, you know, I could look at somebody else's data and predict my own. I mean, that, that sounds like popper cash. Is that, is that true? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, you know, let's uh, not dance around it, Glenn. Let's get yeah, right to it, right? Go right to the point. <laughs> no, I, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. You know, I see a lot of entrepreneurs, they are so busy doing their work that they really never have a lot of time to analyze those things. And I guess what you're suggesting is that when this goes to the CPAs, the CPAs can have a high level, quick conversation, say, hey, by the way, Bob, here's where you stand with firms your size doing this kind of thing, and this might help yeah. you out a little bit. And it just gives them a chance to maybe pause and reflect and go, oh, wow, I wonder why that's so high or why that's so low, and just see if they're in the range, right? Because people just, they always want to compare, right? Everybody wants to know how they're doing the competition. Yeah, it, you know, so we, we, part of what motivated me to do this was, uh, you know, prior to, to launching, you know, uh, Peerview, I was a, a partner in an outsourced accounting firm in Indianapolis called Milestone Advisors. It's it's a transition, and actually, the firm that firm sold to um, a larger firm out of Oregon recently, or California. But they, um, you know, when we when I right before I left, we had two or three hundred companies that we were servicing on a monthly basis, where we had you know thirty employees, and we were doing uh, the day in day out accounting stuff, and what. One of the things that happened was that through the 2008-2009, um, you know, economic downturn, um, we we would see, you know, firms inside the same industry, firms that were killing it, and firms that were being killed, uh, and yet they all used the same language. You know, it was all, out from a public perspective, they were all saying, you know, flats the new up or 20% down's the mm -hmm. new flat, working harder and smarter, and you know, less to show for it, and all those things that were the you know, the kind of the common sort of public persona phrases that people were using. And my partners and I were all looking at each other like, this, this doesn't hold up. You know, there, there are people that are doing really well in this space. And so um, we kept saying, you know, we, there's got to, this is kind of that, that thing that, you know, there's got to be a way for business owners to really understand what's happening 
in their space rather than it being something that's just you know all the lies that we tell to each other at cocktail parties how either good or bad we think it's going or what we think we're supposed to say when we're when we're out in that space and so you know if you were killing it you didn't really want to tell everybody you were killing it and if you're being killed you also didn't really want to admit that either so uh, you know this was a way to plug in and say okay now now i can at least see with you know without anybody's sort of public face that there's no varnish on this this is just the the data that says that here's how 100 other or 250 other companies are doing in my in my vertical um and then i can sort out from that what does that mean to me uh you know i don't i don't sit here and profess that benchmarks are the best thing in the world um and that they you know that you should you should try to to mirror those at, at all costs um but as you said, Glenn, they're, they're really a, a, a way to kind of reflect and say, um, here's where we're the same. Okay, we can accept that. Here's where we're different. Maybe why? What could we learn from that? And um, maybe some of those things are things that you would want to change and other things um, that you wouldn't. You know, we, a common thing we see is, you know, my, my margins are dramatically different. My material costs are higher. My labor costs are different. I've got labor costs below the line versus the things above the line. In you know, and, and so... You know, I'm growing really quickly, but my my net profits thin. So, are there things that if I understood the cost better, would I bid differently? But what can I learn from that? And it's, um, you know, we can all say that we're our business is so unique that we can't compare to anybody else. But the reality is, is that there there are a lot of ways that we can we can compare and learn and and uh, and try to you know figure out is this something I need to to do something different about, or is this just you know something that we're making a strategic intentional decision to, to continue down this path. So Glenn, I want to pivot a little bit and I want to take you back in time. When okay. did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I've heard a couple stories and, and I really love them. So I'm hoping I get the same one from you. Uh, did it, I think, uh, did I know? I, um, probably early. I don't know that I necessarily knew early, but I will, I will tell you, um, you know, I grew up in a really small town in in uh, central Indiana, and uh, you know, it's where my parents had grown up. Uh, they they knew a lot of people, and so my dad, when I was probably, you know, fourth grade or something like that, took me took me into town, and, and in, into town. I mean, there's it's a lot of people. So it's a yeah, big deal, yeah. though. It is going to town. Took me, took me into town. And uh, we were in a truck and we had a, a push mower and a gas can in the back, right? And it's strength training. So my dad took me around and we stopped and he would say, okay, this is Wayne McMahon. I went to school with his daughter, Pat, you know, and like, okay, Wayne's yard has been mowed for a couple of weeks, you know, yeah, come back here and talk to Wayne. Took me to the next house, said, you know, this is so-and-so, so-and-so, their, their yard, he's, he's laid up, you know, something. So, you know, come back here. Took me around to, I don't, I don't remember how many homes. But he, then he, he drove me around, showed me different homes, took me back to the first house and dropped me off and said, um, do as many of these yards as you can. And I'll pick you up at the last spot at the end of the day. Fantastic. And just drop me off. And I was like, OK, <laughs> I was like, you know, so I had to go up and knock on the door. And the old guys with the cigars coming to the door to, you know, talk to you and scare the crap out of me. Um, and then I had to sort of size up the, you know, what it was going to how long it was going to take me and figure out and then ask them to get paid and go back up and ask for the money and go to the next house and do that all the way around. And I didn't know any of these people from Adam. They didn't really know me. 
I would explain who my dad was. Okay. <laughs> and then and they would say, yeah, do the art or not. Scram, kid. <laughs> you know. And uh, so end of the day, he came back. How'd you do? You know, and I did. Well, I told him and, he, and then those became, you know, that, that was the start of that. And, you know, so, um, you know, that was something that I did, you know, all the way until I went into college and then had to pass that on. So did your, um, does your dad, was he an entrepreneur? Did he work for a company or? Just, just the opposite. My dad was, uh, my dad worked for General Motors, was a uh, you know, committeeman in the labor union, was, you know, my dad would work circles around anybody, but, um, you know, was, was part of the, the club at the, you know, from a union standpoint. And, and, you know, I'd always ask him like that, you know, you'll work anybody in the ground. How can you accept that you got the same raise as the guy that's sleeping, <laughs> sleeping over there? He's like, that's just, that's how it is, you know? And, and I'm like, yeah, do you, I don't, I don't get it. Do you think he so was probably, yeah. Do you think he probably saw something that he didn't want you to go into that? And he saw something in you and said, Hey, I think Glenn is going to be a little more self-sufficient and going to hustle on his own. Do you think he saw that or he just was like messing with you? Cause you know, dads do that kind of stuff. They, they never really know where they're coming from. They're like spider monkeys. Right. But yeah, you know, my dad, my dad has always worked and worked hard. He did the same when he was in junior high, high school. And, and, uh, you know, so it was kind of, he was the second of six kids. And I think it was, you know, out of necessity for them wasn't quite necessity for us, but I think he also thought this was a good thing to, to build work ethic and, and just to go after it and to, uh, you know, to, to start early and to do those things. And if I wasn't doing that, I was bailing hay or hoeing fields or, you know, whatever that, um, you know, it's a farming community. So the, the things that you had around in that space, but, um, but it, it really, um, I taught you early that, okay, I've got this, this customer and I've got to take care of them and they're expecting me to do this and I need to get paid to do this. And so I need to ask them for money. And so those were all the things that were kind of early on. And I, you know, so sort of an aside, you know, I don't know if it's a side, but it's part of the story, I guess, is that, I, you know, I'm, I'm a piano player and I, you know, when I was going through high school, like I really thought well, I was going to graduate and move to New York, Nashville or LA and just try to make it in the music business. And that was, that was all I had my sights on. And my, my parents were like, yeah, you can do that, but we want you to get a four-year education first, and then you can go to New York, Nashville, or LA, which um, that was the best advice I've gotten so far. Um, so, uh, you know, in college, I worked at Cedar Point, which is, uh, you know, you guys know Cedar yep, Point. Certainly. Yeah. Um, so I worked at Cedar Point a couple summers playing shows, playing the piano and shows up there. And it was my second summer up there that, you know, you're kind of on break and all these, you know, performers that are sitting around and there was a, there was a guy there and he was 35 and I'm, you know, what, 19, 20. Uh, and he's teaching school, working at Cedar Point in the summers and still trying to make it in the music business. And it kind of had one of those moments where I'm sitting there looking at this guy like, I, I don't want to be that guy. I, I don't want to be that guy. And so I went back to school and, you know, I was an entrepreneurship major at Ball State and I just went headlong. I, I'd been dual major in that point. <laughs> I just took the music theory minor that I'd already gotten. Right over there. Yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's something I'll always have, but it's, uh, you know, heads down uh, entrepreneurship degree from this point forward. Uh, and not even really thinking I was going to be, you know, knowing that I would start a business, but just that I loved the, the, how, how did you the pick, idea of starting and ending up. 
how did you start? How did you go to school for an entrepreneurial degree? And I, I, does that even exist? We have that here. I don't even know if that existed. I mean, this is probably what back in the fifties, sixties. When did you go to school? I don't even know. Um, yeah, <laughs> anytime. Yeah. I think I saw you in that uh, that one movie Hoosiers. Maybe you were playing in the game in there in the small town. Seaglen, I, I prepped right. you. I prepped you for this. Okay. Yeah. No. I, I, again, right. I don't even know that me. was that an was, option, right? I mean, how did you pick that? The small That's, town was my the small town in Indiana wasn't my land, you know, mm -hmm. so, um, but, um, I didn't know about it. I didn't know about the entrepreneurship degree. You, you know, when you go to school, then what well, then, I don't know when they have you declare now, but back then you had to do a rule of 11 or rule of nine. You had to finish all this sort of stuff in your first two years. And then you declared your major. Um, so somewhere along the way that, uh, it was, it was funny, you know, a guy that I was in a group with at, at at Ball State, we we're you know, out on the loading dock one day, and he says, what are you, what are you studying? And I go, I don't know. I haven't declared yet. <laughs> and he goes, you need to be an entrepreneurship major. <laughs> and I go, I don't, I don't even know how to spell it and say it. What, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, you need And he's, my wife's involved in this thing. And he goes, yeah, you, you go over there. And like he goes, no, I got this. You go over there right now and declare that as your major. <laughs> And I was like, I don't even know what it is. So I went over there and looked at it. And, and I was like, well, this sounds kind of interesting. And then. I signed up for the class. Uh, I took the intro class. I bought, you know, as I bought the book, I read it cover to cover the first line. I'd never done that with a school textbook ever. Um, and was like, wow, okay, this is, this is it. This was what I wanted to do. So that's, so literally you must have had, this is probably in your genes somehow that you had to be an entrepreneur and you just had to figure out how to get it out of there. Your dad was trying to get out this guy. I mean, imagine if somebody said you should be in like, you know, a Roman art history or something. I mean, where would you be today? I, think about that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Or I would still be outside the Louvre, but, but right. I would be selling those little <laughs> selling the little guys. guys. <laughs> right, and God forbid you go in and get an accounting degree. That would be horrible. I I can't imagine uh, what you'd have turned out to be. You know, I, I tell you, I the funny story about that is that I that I absolutely hated accounting when I went through. I, You're killing uh, me. I'm sitting right here. Well, I know, I know. But the thing was, was that uh, I'm I'm. Show me the big picture first, and, right. and then I can. And I didn't get that when I went through, you know, your debits and credits and T accounts and all. I'm, I my whole thing was, oh my god, this is make work, this is busy work. I'll hire somebody to do this crap. I'll never do this in my life. <laughs> yeah, famous last words, right? <laughs> surprise, um, surprise. But was, when I went to my when when I went through the the senior class where we had to write a business plan and it was pass or fail you got you either got an A and graduated you got an F and had to stick around another year because it didn't offer they didn't offer the course until the spring of the next year so a lot of pressure on to 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 get it done and uh, when I built the forecast for that it was kind of like income statement cash flow statement balance sheet you know I'm sitting there going wait a minute this is the balance sheet this this comes from over here this is how those are interrelated and then all of a sudden it became like well this makes sense to me now it's like uh, you know, all the way through, it, it, you know, I, I didn't, I hadn't uh, gotten it because when the, when the story problems say, look, you know, let's say you're a payables clerk inside Ford Motor Company. I'm like, I would jump off the highest Kill floor, me now. you know, Kill I, me now. if that was me, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't picture myself doing it. And, and then I just, I would shut it off. I'm like, no, not going to be that guy. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's funny that uh, accounting now you know, there is the actual data that has to happen and data entry and whatever, but most accounts now, it's that's not where your your value is. It's all in interpreting and trying to predict the future. And, and again, you're helping with that by providing those data analytics to do so. Um, how does, you know, 
we're, I'm always fascinated with entrepreneurs, how they get started and what they're doing, how they do it. And, and it just, your story just is, it's amazing, right? It's, it's very like everybody else's, just a whole different path. But, you know, what do you actually, you know, do you have any bad habits that you have to support? And that's why you went into entrepreneurism because you can't really go and do a real job and get paid a fixed amount. You have to have that wiggle room to go do your thing and have that freedom. I should say perceived freedom. Um, what is it that, you know, when did you decide that that's it? I'm not working for the man anymore. I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. Um, I think it was, it was, you know, I had, I was at a consulting firm before I left and joined and we launched milestone advisors in 2003. And it was when I had the fourth managing partner in, in the beginning of the fourth year that I was there, um, the, the fourth different compensation structure, um, you know, the comp plan and stuff. And it just was this moving piece. And, and candidly, it was, they came to me and said, when I, when I started in this job, it was a, it was a consulting firm that was owned by a law firm. So think about late, late nineties, you had all the tech stuff that was going on. You had, um, you know, all the high growth stuff that, and, you know, dot com stuff that was great. It was crazy. Right. Uh, and so the law firms had, had all formed consulting companies because they, they felt like they were giving up all that revenue. So this was a consulting company owned by a law firm. And when I went to work there, they set my compensation structure up thinking that 90% of the revenue would come as referrals to me from the law firm and 10% I would need to go generate on my own. And they came to me when the, when the fourth managing partner started, they came to me and said, hey, we did an analysis of the revenue and um, do, you, do you know how much you've generated? I said, no, I don't know. And they said, well, you know, it's, we thought it was 90, 10. I go, yeah. They go, well, it sort of is, but 93% of the revenue you've generated and 7% came from law firms. <laughs> and, and so then they go, yeah, we want, we want you to be the sales guy for the firm. And I went, yeah, no, I don't do sales. <laughs> I'm not a sales guy. I don't want to be a sales. I don't want to be a sales. But what was going through my mind was, is if I can sell it for you knuckleheads, I'm going to go sell it for myself. So but I literally kind of w walked out of that room you're a little bit bigger. <laughs> yeah. And I went back to my office and I started calling clients and said, Hey, if I leave here, would you follow me? And they all went, yeah. And I didn't have an I compete, didn't have anything like holding me back. So I went to um, one of the, one of the founders of the firm and said, I think it's time for me to go. I'm going to go do my thing. And he was fully supportive of it and, and helps me, helps me go. So, um, yeah, I think it was kind of one of those where it wasn't so much, um, um, you know, sticking it to the man kind of stories, but more of the confidence that, okay, it's time. I was in my mid thirties. I, I had enough of a, you know, network and, and confidence to go do this on my own and felt like I had a, you know, book of business and I could, um, it wasn't quite like, you know, sort of taking the, the safety net out from underneath the high wire, but it was, you know, it was enough that I could, you know, uh, felt enough confident enough. And, and I will also say this, I had a quick conversation with my wife and she said, yeah, I think it's time. And I didn't, didn't wait for her to change her mind. Mm -mm. Exactly. <laughs> so throughout the process, you know, as you went through, you said your mid thirties, did you have a mentor or anyone that kind of helped, you know, like give you some information to guide you down that, you know, you got the confidence from your success, but did you have any, anyone else in your ear that kind of helped guide you that way? Yeah, there were, there were a few people. I think, you know, when uh, uh, David Millard was one of the founders, he was the named partner in the law firm and was one of the partners in the consulting company. 
Um, David had been on the board of uh, the small, I ran the Indianapolis Small Business Development Center. And so we'd gotten to know each other through that. And it was at a lunch that, that um, you know, I went to him to get some you know, career advice. And he said, I want you to come, you know, to Concord. And so I, I didn't, you know, this wasn't about me seeking a, a job from you. And he goes, no, I know, I know, but I want you to come. And, and then the whole time I was there, he, he gave me an awful lot of confidence in, um, you know, what I was doing. Because I had gone from, you know, on a Friday, giving my services away at the Small Business Development Center to on Monday, charging you know, a pretty decent fee on an hourly basis. And so it, that can be a difficult, you know, shift. And he, he just was right behind me the whole way and just, you know, continued to support me in that. Was was great mentor about you know about um, how to firms the structure and set up and you know just kind of how to how to organize those things and he was he was a, he was great from that perspective. Um, he was also great with with clients. You know, he was just one of those guys that could sit in a room and have a conversation with a client and and you know give them the good, the bad, the ugly, and and you know just learn from being able to you know in the way he handled the client situations. It's funny when you have uh, when you do work for clients and you have that relationship with them and they just appreciate what you do and how you do it for them. You don't realize how much uh, equity that is, right? That they'll follow you anywhere, you know, because they believe in you because you believed in them and you help them and you're gonna, they're going to help you. And it's just a cool thing to have that relationship. And you I mentioned it a little earlier that, you know. Literally, you're working for this other firm. You're still working there, and you call them up and say, "Hey, if I go, will you come?" And they're all like, "Absolutely, we dig you." I mean, that had to be a kind of a I don't want to say a humbling experience, but just had to be a real like, "Wow, that's that's deep." Yeah, yeah it was, and uh, you know, it was it was quite a it was quite a time. I mean, it was it uh, you know it gave you the confidence, but you also knew then that you know they're counting on you, and you know you've got to deliver here in order to. Uh, you know, maintain these relationships that, you know, they're, they're not there. They may be there because you're there, but they're also going <laughs> to, also you know, the pressure's on, there's no other name behind this. It's you. So, uh, so you've got to do it. So yeah, it's the buck stops um, there. It's good. Did you, uh, yeah. how long did it take you on your journey before you realized that uh, you couldn't do everything yourself and you started uh, implementing a team or strategic relationships and things like that. Was that right away or did you wait a little bit and try, try to struggle through it on your own? How'd that, how'd that play out? Yeah, you know, I, I left uh, and it, it's really funny because when I left, uh, one of the partners at the firm had laid a, um, a printout uh, of, of, a, of a guy's website <laughs> Remember, you remember when we used to print web pages because that was like, yep. you know, how we expected. Yeah. So uh, it was a print out of a web page of a guy that he's like, you know, you want to get to know this guy. And so I, I had already scheduled a meeting with with him and he had just started his own thing and I was starting my own thing. Uh, and after we met, we kind of went, you know, maybe we got to do this together um, because there's, you know, you've got a book. I've got a book. We had some overlap in the things that we were doing, but he was a CPA and I'm not. Uh, so we brought some of those things together. And so as we kind of talked about that, we, we formed, but then we also realized that we both needed, you know, to, to, to build some leverage into the model because it was a feat, you know, just that roller coaster. If you're on your own, your, your head's down on projects and you may, it may be great revenue, but you finish those projects and you look up and you go, Oh crap, there's uh, what do I do now? So we, we like, we've got to, we've got to build, um, you know, an entity almost right away. So we hired two people, um, 
you know, a, a CPA that was a stay-at-home mom that wanted uh, some some extra hours to be able to get, um, you know, get her kids on the bus in the morning and be there when they get they got off the bus. Uh, but she didn't want to go back in public accounting, so she came to work for us. And then a, a guy that had worked for me for a couple of years at the other firm that was also an entrepreneurship major. Uh, and so we we hired two people the same day and then just continued to build from there. But it was, you know, almost right away, we recognized that if we don't build you know, leverage into the system, we'll, it will just uh, you know be the same size forever. Do you just magically have all this money that you could just hire two people like that on the same day? I mean, what? how does that even no, we happen? Have, we, we had we had uh, uh, we had projects that uh, you know that we were able to you know engage them on right away. Um, you know Beth, who started with us on a on a she started hourly part time, so she was only getting paid when she worked. Uh, Bill, the guy that came with me, uh, he said, and when I left, he said, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'll, I'm going to I'll go with you, whatever, and just you know take care of me however you can. And so we, <laughs> it was just two people that kind of saw what we we're doing and said, you know, yeah, just take care of me as you, you know, and they did. And they, they came in and, you know, we were, we were super grateful for, for folks like that. You, you figure as an entrepreneur, like you probably made that decision sooner than most. And, you know, at that point in time, when you realize that there's people that want to be part of what you're doing and, and help you achieve what you want as a collective, the whole in yourself and, and help them achieve something greater I mean, you would have sold a kidney literally to hire somebody at that moment in time because most, yeah, most entrepreneurs, they're just like, oh, I can't afford, I can't afford, I can't afford. They never can afford it. So it's sort of like you got to, either you got to do it or or you're just never going to do it. So I I applaud you for making that decision because that's a tough decision when you're, you know, bank counts negative and you're like, well, I guess we got to go all in. And a lot of people don't do that. If you're listening to this podcast, you know, don't make foolish decisions, but you got to believe in what you're doing. You got to believe you got the right people and, you know, price is what you pay, value is what you get, and and you've got to make those decisions that will help get you to the next level. You know, we, we joke, Lynn, about the about um, in our um, in our app, uh, we have you know you can only put in financial statement information, but we have some some survey questions that will help you understand, you know, uh, you know, kind of as you're as you're doing planning, so your advisor can work through this with you, so your CPA can say. You know, what are your short term, like, you know, what do you expect sales to do over the next year? Or what do you expect employee employment levels and all these things? Or uh, so what are your expectations, your priorities, your concerns? And and <laughs> it's, you know, the, the, we rarely get entrepreneurs that think that the, the you know, two to three years is, is going to be you know, flat or down. It's almost always, you know, some level of up. Right. And there's some level of optimism that we as entrepreneurs, you know, just sort of have to have or otherwise we wouldn't do what Man- we do. Mandatory. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, that was, you know, when we launched in 2003, we thought everything was going to be up and to the right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it still is, right? And it went there. Absolutely. Just took a little bit. (laughs) That's right. Do you have, uh, you know, most entrepreneurs, they have this, uh, you know, some kind of superpower that basically sets them apart from their competition or everybody else because it's just they got this shtick that, that there's this thing. Would you even... Do you, have you evaluated yourself and thought about what your superpower is? Is it client communication? Is it risk taking? Is it, you know, concerted effort? Is it just who you just got some swag? What do you think that thing is that separates you that kind of makes you the successful entrepreneur that you are? Um, yeah, I, I don't, 
I, I think if there's anything, um, it's a willingness to ask the stupid question. Um, it's, it's served me well when I was working with clients in a, in a consultative situation, you know, you go, look, I don't, I, maybe I don't understand this. Help me, help me understand this. And, and, um, you know, I don't know your business as well as you, but can you tell me this or can, you know, but that I'm, I'm having trouble lining that up. Make, help me make sense of that. Um, but I do the same thing now with, you know, as we're delivering things, you know, from a, from a software perspective, you know, I'll sit with clients that are using the app and, and, you know, it's, um, you know, either around a boardroom or in a, on a Zoom call or whatever. And, and you'll see people's reaction. And I'll go, I, I don't, you're thinking about something or uh, help me understand what you're thinking about. Or that doesn't seem like that sat, sat right with you. What's, what are your, what are you thinking about there? Or um, how can we make this report better? What are you thinking about? You know, and the, it's just those things that, um, you know, our best ideas you know, I don't, I don't have the sort of NIH, right. The not invented here syndrome. It's like, if somebody tells me, you know, I, I had, I had a, a prospect the other day, uh, who's becoming a client. Um, they, they've, they've told me they're ready to move forward, but he said, I think you've solved the problem for the CPA, but I don't think you've solved it for their client yet. And that hurt, you know, that was one of those where I was like, Oh, what? You know, I'm like, what do you mean? And so we, I'm okay. And so then you have to go, you can't, you can't get it all wrapped up. This is, you know, they didn't just tell your baby's ugly. There's, there's something here. So it's like, okay, so help me understand that. What do you mean by that? Let's go, let's dig into it. And, you know, uh, I think we've, I think as a result of that, our team is about ready to push one of our, I think one of, one of our um, best updates to the application that as a result of that conversation six months ago, and it's, it, uh, it took me three months to figure out how to solve that problem that, you know, that, but it was one of those where, you know, four o'clock in the morning, I wake up and go, ah, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, here's how we can do it. And, and I'm, I'm slacking our team and they're like, hey, like, you got to stop slacking. It's at 4 a.m. <laughs> like, how come like, nobody else is? And nobody else works 24 seven. Yeah. Come on, everybody. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, but it's, you know, it's just listening and asking questions and, and being willing to, to just make those changes. I think that's the, you know, if there's anything that, I would credit our success to. What I think I hear you saying, which I think has been a common theme on our podcast, is you used information to provide that you saw the opportunity and you were able to provide the solution. So you didn't see it as you weren't able to do something or a failure. We hate that word, but you saw it as an opportunity and you were able then to provide the solution, which I think is amazing. It's a great superpower. It is. And I think the second thing that you probably did too is, you know, when you walk into a room, you kind of know what you're talking about, but it isn't about that. It's about learning something, right? And you got to listen to what people want and what they need. And as an entrepreneur, your brain's going thousand miles an hour anyway. It, it never shuts off. And all your you're just gathering data. You're just like a combine. Just bring it all in, and then you're going to spit out a great product right. after it. And I and I think that's what you're doing, right? I mean, you're listening instead of just talking. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard. I'm not great at all of those things all the time. I, you know, I, I, I love our product. I love our, I think it's, uh, I think it's great. Um, and that's one of the challenges of being, of being the, uh, you know, an inventor, I guess, of it, the, 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 and, you know, thinking of, of, you know, wanting to be able to share that story and tell that, uh, it's, it's really hard to sort of set that aside. And, and it's not about that. It's about you know, the, the solution for them and, you know, how we can help them solve problems and, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, you go through all those different selling things about, you know, helping people 
understand how sick they are before they need the solution, right? Or you know, how, how big is state the problem? And um, nobody likes to, you know, it can be uncomfortable, especially if, you know, if, if you start telling people things that you see wrong or that, you know, you've got to earn that. Um, so there's, there's, there's time in that, but it's, uh, um, you know, when you do sort of get out of the way and, and let that take care of itself, then, then it's, uh, it works. Do you, there's a, I got a one trick mark trick question. Cause I love those. Um, is there, is it, what's the end game? Are you like, oh, when I hit, uh, you know, 90, I'm going to retire and, uh, you know, I only want to make a hundred million or is it going to make a hundred billion? What's your end game? Or do you even have one? I know it's, I know the answer, but go ahead and we'll try it. Yeah. You know, well, tell me what the answer should be first. I mean, let me know. What that's, that's what a good accountant does, <laughs> right? <laughs> what do you want yeah, the answer to yeah. be? No, I think the end game that's generally great. is there is no end game. You just, you enjoy what you do. You love what you do. You're helping people. The money probably doesn't really matter. I mean, it's important, but it's not why you do it. And you're helping people. You have you you get up in the morning. You're going out there and and slaying dragons, and everybody's thankful for what you do for them. Why would you ever stop? Um, so the only question really on that point, I, I'm guessing that's the case. And then if would you ever go into other businesses? You, how far does, can this business go that you're in these two? So I, I, I absolutely agree with everything you just said. I, lo- I love what I do. Um, you know, I, I would I'd be happy doing this uh, the rest of my life. So um, I, it's kind of one of those things when you when you get asked the question about the end game, it's kind of like does it have to does it have to end? I don't want is to that, stop. That, you, know, um, you know, but I, I think the challenge um, for us in a software company is that uh, you know it's it's sort of an, an up or out. Uh, push in software that if you're not continuing to, you see it all the time when, when somebody builds a, a lifestyle software company and they stop developing, then they get passed by people that are innovative and they just, and then all of a sudden what they had as a lifestyle business is no longer providing them that same lifestyle. So, so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a growth you know, plan, plan for us. And, you know, we're, we're looking at you know, the different opportunities that we can take there. So, we're in the CPA space. We've got some some announcements that we'll be making later this year. That um, just after the busy season, that will be, um, you know, some some big opportunities for us to continue to expand and go deeper and wider in that accounting space. And we'll continue to do that. But there are other users of this data too that we have our, our eyes on that and just thinking about like how can we how can we transition that if you. You know, today I would say that our, our our mission is to really help CPAs and their clients to make better decisions. And if you if, you know if you back that up, it, it eventually to be you know that it's really about the business owners and their advisors, and it's it's a, a broader set that would be of people. It could be you know investors, um, so private equity, venture capital, angel investors. Uh, you know, there are you know lenders, you know, bank and non-bank lenders that would be interested in you know, having this kind of data to help them make better decisions and, you know, be able to pass it on to their clients and use it in different ways. So we're, we're, we're looking at some of those, uh, you know, other markets, but, but for now we, we you know, we, we're here with CPAs for, for really a couple of reasons. I mean, one, they have a real need for this. I mean, that's, and, that's but they and also we're really a, cool. CPAs are really cool and you want to hang with them. I get it. I, mean, I understand that. Where, where else would you want to spend your time? I, mean, I can't think you know, of any place better. So it's Julie and I are right here, right there. You know, what's funny about what you said is, and that's what I'd love about entrepreneurs. Literally, you've got these two businesses, they're doing what they do, but you literally have like 12,000 other ideas 
that are just floating around out there that you need to attack and, and slay. And and as an entrepreneur, the key thing, and I think that's what Glenn is saying, is you know figure out what you're doing, make sure you got that down, and then methodically go through the next steps. Don't try to do everything at once because you'll never get anything done. You got to just get the one thing done and just keep moving on. Would you agree with that that that, that comment? Yeah, I mean, you asked about mentors earlier. Larry Baker is one of my uh, best mentors, and Larry and I talked about, you know, I mean, he, he made me read the Crossing the Chasm, and, and we, we had to go through that a lot. When you, when you read that, there's the whole D-Day comparison. It's the beachhead. You've got to, you've got to focus on, uh, you know, winning this beachhead. You've got to win this victory, and then you can focus on the other things. And I, that's the Crossing the Chasm approach is, is that you can't, you know, I think they also use the bowling pin analogy that you can't focus on the 10 pin. You've got to focus on the lead pin. And for us, the CPA space is that lead pin. And by striking it and striking it well, it will help us to, you know, to get the other pins to fall. And we, we chose CPAs because of the volume of data that's there, but we also chose it because of the veracity. I mean, volume and veracity. When you think about who has the most trusted source of data, and that's one of the challenges with the other data sources that are out there, um, you know, they're, they're scrambling to get data. If you look at some of the places where you can submit your own data to it, I mean, that's, um, you know, it's, that's not, you it's don't not the that. same. And so we're getting it. No. And we don't want to bolt into, you know, accounting applications and just pull in everybody's, you know, QuickBooks files because, uh, and not to beat up on QuickBooks, but it's, it's more about the, the users of that in that, uh, you know, in our firm, we were getting called in where somebody, nobody had touched their files for, you know, two weeks, two months, or two years and cleaning that stuff up. Well, I don't want that data coming into the app. I only want data that CPA firms are, you know, through their accounting services are closing the books, you know, and we've got solid data that's coming into the app every month. So so we've very specifically chosen the path to, to get uh, a large amount of, of reliable data. And that's, um, that's really why we're, you know, why we started here. As an entrepreneur is, and at your point in your, in your journey, is there something if you could tell yourself 20 years ago, if you just would have done this, or if you just would have changed this or just tweaked that, you would, you know, be in a better position than you are now, um, whether that's getting some different advice, uh, making a decision quicker, hiring, getting a mentor in there. Is there something that you're like, man, if I just did that one thing, do you have, do you have anything like that? Um, it's interesting. I, I think, uh, for me personally, I, I, I don't, uh, uh, I think writing and communicating are, are two of the toughest things for me. You know, my, I was just having this conversation with my youngest daughter last night about, uh, my SAT scores, my, you know, math scores, verbal scores, right. <laughs> you know, we're just completely opposite. And I think for me, you know, being able to, um, you know, storytell and do those things I think really well would, 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 uh, would have suited me really well from a personal standpoint, from a business standpoint, you know, I think, I think stepping back and saying, you know, like we talked about the two people that we hired right away. I think the, in, in when we launched milestone advisors, but I think, you know, looking at your skill sets and saying, okay, who else needs to be a part of this founding team? Who else needs to be a part of this, you know, from and to sort of, you know, be there and believe in this thing and, and to move forward with this. Uh, you know, I think that's a, that's a really key thing because, you know, when you do that hard assessment of, of your own skills and what you have, it's, um, you know, when you launch something like this, it's, it, it's, uh, it's helpful to have a team of people who are very complimentary in skill set and, and, uh, you know, 
you know, are, are baptized with their sword out of the water kind of thing, that they're ready to, <laughs> you know, charge, you know, um, ready to die. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, I think probably the, the, one of the funny things is your, your first experience of uh, communication and selling were to these old guys that were mad that you were mowing their grass. They didn't want to talk to you anyway, you know? And so it probably took a while to get over that to like, Hey, wait a minute. People really do want to talk. They don't want to get off my lawn, kid. Uh, so that's probably would be, that you know, probably is something that was helpful. You know, I think one of the things that I think that I, I had, um, you know, uh, not so good mentors, you know, think about like the transition now. Um, when you think about there, so I spend a lot of time in groups of CPA firms that are talking about the, the challenge with, um, you know, uh, working with millennials and how do they handle this workforce and, you know, all those things. And there's, there's, uh, when I, you know, started, I'm not 90, but I, when I did start a while ago working, uh, and one of the things with that is that, you know, you, you did whatever the boss told you to do and, and you did it and you stayed as long as it took and you did whatever it took it to, to get the job done. And it was just kind of like, that was the expectation. And you went into it um, a lot. I think I, I um, lived to work in a lot of ways. Right? And I think this generation works to live. And so there's a whole uh, shift in that. But the thing that I hear a lot of people doing right now uh, is, is sort of, you know, sugarcoating it and doing all the stuff that, you know, trying to make it work so, you know, nice and pleasing and all that stuff. And I, I, I get it. I mean, I don't, it shouldn't be a, you know, a, you shouldn't have to slug through everything every day. But the flip side of that is, is that I think people are looking for a challenge. They want to be part of something that's bigger. And it's, it's not so much that your that your people want to be under the thumb screws that, that I kind of felt like I grew up in that, that it was like, you know, scared of the boss and not knowing, you know, all those things. Now they, they want to be a part of it and they want to be a part of something bigger. And, 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 um, you know, they'll do hard stuff. They'll work and they'll, they'll accomplish major things. So, you know, one of the things that happened to us, uh, you know, we were doing only annual financial statement analysis going into the pandemic. So it's, you know, beginning of 2020, we only had annual stuff. And when the pandemic hit, things were shutting down. The economy is going to hell in a handbasket. Nobody knew what was going to happen. And all, and all of a sudden, at the beginning of March, you know, as the wheels are falling off of the stuff, I went, oh, nobody is going to load anything in and look backwards at 1231.19 because, you know, they're, they're worried about payroll next week, next month, whatever. They don't. And so it was kind of, what are we going to do to survive? And I came back to our team and said, we have to release a monthly version of our app within the next four weeks. And the, the team said, we can't do it. And I said, well, then we need to turn off the lights and go home and we're done. And they went, huh? <laughs> and I said, we're, it, we will be if at best irrelevant for the next year, if not longer. And we have to make this transition. It was like one of those things where we, we had to do it. And I said, I said, we have to figure this out. And they all kind of looked at each other and went, yeah, we'll do it. And it was uh, one of those things where they, they, I told them 415 was the deadline. And you know why, obviously. But yep. uh, we, we flipped the switch and released the monthly version of our app on April 17th of 2020. And then we went to all of our clients and we said, you know, you've, you're using this with 20% of your, of your client base. We're turning it all on for every single one of your clients. We want to be part of the, the problem or solution, not part of the problem. 
So we're turning it on, use it for the next six months and, and help your clients get through this. And it was really kind of that transition. But it was also because that, you know, you go to the team and you go, look, it, it, we, you know, we, we, this is part of a big thing. This is, you know, this, we have to do this. And, and not just for our survival, but also we want to be part of the solution for the CPA firms and their clients and help them through this. And, you know, once they got their heads kind of wrapped around that piece, they, they worked tons of hours and, you know, and, and completed things. It, it was a, it was a fantastic effort, but, you know, I didn't put a foosball table in to make him happy for, I mean, it was like, you know, here's, here's where we got to go. And we, you know, let's go together. And when we do this, we'll get to the other side and it'll be, it'll be good. And that, that not only saved us, but, you know, say in the sense that, you know, we, we still had a viable, relevant product that we could continue to sell. But it's it's enabled our our growth you know, for twenty one and now twenty two. I, I think you know Glenn and I agree on that same concept. Like you have to be transparent and you have to communicate the why. They have to understand what they're going towards. And once they wrap their head around that, you'd be interested what they're willing to put their head down and do. So I think you you described that exactly to a T. We definitely call that leadership, and then you lead by example, and you just laid it out. Said, look, if you don't. If we don't do this, we're out of business and people would rather work towards something and work for a common goal than just come up and punch their clock. So that that's what it's all about. So any entrepreneurs listen to this, I hope you get a lot of good stuff out of here. Glenn, I appreciate you taking some time with us today and I, I wish you wish you luck on the rest of your day in Indianapolis and and hopefully, you know, we'll get some more snow coming your way, uh, which would be great because that means we're going to get it then. <laughs> it's all good. Well, thanks again. This is uh, Glenn Harper and Julie Smith. At Harper & Company CPA Plus, we just don't care about the numbers. We care about helping you tap into the greatness of your entrepreneurial journey. You deserve a partner who has helped hundreds of businesses go from paying the bills to building the business and lifestyle of their dreams. Go to our website and download our free guide entitled Entrepreneurial Success Formula, How to Avoid Managing Your Business from Your Bank Account. The link is in this episode's show notes.